listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome to the Theology and Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Fretwell. Thank you for listening. Now, if you remember, if you listened to the first episode of the podcast, we gave a biblical mandate for theology. And today we're going to really do the same, but with apologetics. So if you haven't listened to the first podcast, please go back onto iTunes and your podcast feed and subscribe and download that first episode. And that deals with the subject of theology. Today we are looking at the subject of apologetics. We want to look at why it is important for Christians to be engaged with the field of apologetics. So this will really look at some objections to apologetics, what is apologetics, uh, what's the biblical justification for such a such an activity. Now before we go any further, I've thrown in this word apologetics a few times already, let's just make sure everyone knows what this means, because it's not about apologising for the faith, as some people mistakenly presume. So what is it? It is really the rational defence of the Christian faith using arguments and reason to defend the truths of Christianity. So quite simply, apologetics is the rational defence of the Christian faith. Now, many people think this is a new discipline. It is not new. It has really been around since New Testament times. We often see the Apostle Paul reasoning, defending, contending and giving evidence, it says in the book of Acts at various places, for Christianity and as he's proclaiming the gospel in many areas, in the synagogues and in the marketplace and in the school of Tyrannus, for example, he uses these apologetic methods. And much of the New Testament itself was written to correct uh, aberrant teaching that was being foisted upon the church at that stage. The book of Galatians seeks to counter the the legalism of the Judaizers. The book of Colossians is um, interacting with the Gnostic views of their day. Even in the second century, you have the church fathers, the patristic writings, people like Irenaeus, who wrote his famous book Against Heresies. You have Justin Martyr, very famous uh, apologist of the second century. He wrote his books, famous books, First and Second Apology. So apologetics was around in, from, from the New Testament into the second century. Jumping forward a bit in history, we have the famous church father Augustine, He wrote his famous book, The Confessions, where he gives this great argument, really from personal experience, where he just recounts his conversion from paganism to Christianity. And it was him who came up with that very famous and oft-quoted phrase, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That was Augustine. And then we have, into the kind of medieval theologians, uh, Thomas Aquinas, the famous five ways where he gave these five arguments for the existence of God. And we have many apologists today who similarly are kind of following in the the footsteps of Thomas Aquinas. Now, again, we're jumping forward in history, but for the sake of keeping this podcast short and keeping your attention span, we won't go through all of it. But in the kind of back end of the 20th century, apologetics kind of dropped out of the church's use and understanding. And there's a lot of reasons for this. We won't go into them all now. One of them may simply be that Christianity had kind of won the day with cultural acceptance. Not everywhere, of course, but broadly speaking, it was you know culturally accepted and to be a Christian, and people wanted that label, so to speak. Now, because of this, Christianity shifted from from engaging with other worldviews and giving reasons for the faith to becoming a very experiential based religion. Now, I'm not against experience in any way. It's essential. It's essential, but it must be in balance. And I think the balance was lost during the end of the 20th century. Now, we have seen a resurgence in Christian apologetics in the past 10 years. 
That's really due to, I believe, the the publication of The God Delusion back in 2006. You remember Richard Dawkins' famous book, The God Delusion. Uh, this, this shocked a lot of people because of the way that Dawkins attacked Christianity uh, so vehemently. And it was just, it was something that many of us had never encountered before. And this kind of caused the church to awaken from its slumber, so to speak, and re-engage the field of Christian apologetics. And since then, we've just had a slew of very, very good apologetics resources coming from the church. So this is where we are today. Now, why do we study apologetics? Let me give you four reasons before we go any further, and then we'll look at some scriptures and we'll justify these reasons. The first one that I've got here, these are in no particular order. These are just kind of as they come to me. The first one is simply to defend the truths of Christianity. Okay, defend the truths of Christianity. Christianity makes a lot of truth claims. Some of these sound very dramatic to modern ears. They are, in fact. They proclaim some amazing and wonderful things, but we need to learn how to defend these claims. So that is one of the main tasks of Christian apologetics. Number two, to refute accusations against the faith. Just as in the early church, the church today, has accusations coming against it, accusations concerning the character of God, the nature of the scriptures, any number of things. Apologetics is the skill of learning how to respond and accurately address these challenges. The third reason I've got here is to convert those who disbelieve. Of course, we must never forget that apologetics and evangelism go hand in hand in this day and age. Okay, it's not about winning arguments, so to speak, or or just showing that we have better reasons than the other view. As Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, we always want to be looking forward to the cross. Okay, so conversion is a huge part of evangelism, of apologetics. Number four, strengthening the faith of believers. Now, this is a very important one. Because often, obviously, it's Christians maybe primarily who listen to Christian apologetics. And there is a good purpose for this because I have known in my own life and you might have experienced it yourself. When you hear someone presenting reasons and arguments for the faith, things that you may not have encountered, it can be edifying. It builds you up. It helps you to, to stand firm on the rock of Christianity and of Christ. And these are all reasons we want to engage in apologetics. We could probably come up with more. But like I say, let's keep it short for now and we'll leave it there. So what is the biblical mandate for apologetics? What justification do we have from the scriptures? We're going to just look at uh, four or five scriptures now where apologists usually get their justification from. We're going to talk about them and just explore them a little bit together now. Let's turn to probably the premier verse on Christian apologetics and the most famous one, definitely. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Now this says, I'll read this for you, but in your hearts... Honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is probably the most famous verse for Christian apologetics. Now, I understand, obviously, that this verse, we never like to just pick a verse out of its context. The wider context of this verse is that Peter is writing his epistle to those people who, those Christians who are dispersed across um, the biblical world at this time and they are maybe suffering persecution and he's saying whatever situations you are encountering always be prepared to give a defense now obviously we we apply this more broadly to our own current situation i think that's absolutely fine so let's break down this verse a little bit and see what we have here the first thing honor 
Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy, sorry, or some of your translations may read sanctify there. What does this mean? It means Christ is holy. Christ is God and we are to set him apart in our lives. This is referring to our conduct. What difference does the Lordship of Christ make in our lives? How we live is very important to our witness. Okay, this is very important to understand. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2 that we are letters of Christ read by all men. Okay, it was once said that some people may never read the Gospels, but they will read you. And if you are an ambassador for Christ, you are speaking for the Holy One. We need to make sure that our conduct is worthy of the calling that we have. And it, obviously this is basically saying <laughs> you need to be a Christian too. You need to have accepted the Lord as your saviour. This is the first step in being a good Christian apologist. So then it says, always be prepared to make a defence. Now, being prepared, this takes work. It can be hard. We need to be equipped, we need to be informed, and we need to be studied. It's really saying, you know, be forearmed. Make sure you have the weapons in your arsenal before you go into battle. Now, if you're a Christian, you're in the battle all the time. I understand that. But we can still, we, we, you know, we have a lot of downtime, so to speak, where we could um, hone up on our arguments for the Christian faith. And it says to make a defence. Now, this is where the word apologetics comes from. In the Greek, the word defence there is the word apologia. And this Greek word means, as it's translated quite correctly, to make an argument in defence of something. And what we are arguing for is the truth of Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Um, and what this has done in our lives and what it, what it means for the world. We're arguing that the, the Christian worldview is in fact a correct view of reality. There's a lot to spend our time on there. And then he says, to anyone who asks you, okay, it could be a, a re response to someone who's doubting, a, an honest question. It might be someone from a different worldview, a different religion, or it might be a question from those within the church who need clarification and understanding on some of the harder doctrines of Christianity. All of these fall under the realm of Christian apologetics. And then it says, anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, a reason. You see, we have reasons. This is asking why are we a Christian? Now this is where we need to be careful because quite often when someone says to us, why are we a Christian? We answer by telling them how we became a Christian. You see how we might say, I met these lovely group of Christians, they invited me to a Bible study and then uh, they invited me to a church camp and I went away into the woods for a weekend and we were in a big tent and I became a Christian there. Now, I've used those examples you know, slightly sarcastically, but we all know this is actually a true situation in, in many, many cases, but it's not that that saved people. We know it's the proclamation of the gospel. However, to the untrained ear or to the unbelieving ear, that can sound very much like brainwashing. It always reminds me of the uh, the evangelist J. John who, who quipped when he was asked, you know, when his parents said to him, you've been brainwashed, he said to them, well, if you knew what was in my brain, you'd be glad it was washed. I res that resonates with me slightly in some ways. But this is something we need to be um, careful of. We, we need to provide reasons, not just tell the story. There is a place for story. Story can be a very good apologetic method, but we need to have both. And then the hope. What is the hope that we were talking about here? It's Christ and it's Christianity in its fullness. The person of Christ. You see, all apologetics should flow to and from the cross. It might not be you that takes someone all the way to the cross. You may just have that first step, clearing away a presupposition or an objection. But 
the journey is always to and from the cross. And then this should be done with gentleness and respect. This is just a reminder that the way we speak is very important. We could have all the right arguments, we can do everything right, but if we're arrogant or if we're not giving someone a chance to speak, the way we give our arguments can mean a lot. Someone will either stop listening or they'll go on further with us. The way we speak can be very, very important. So that's 1 Peter 3.15 in a nutshell. You could do a whole hour study on that. We've just broken it down for this small podcast on why we study apologetics. Let's go to another verse now. Jude chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. It reads like this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So here we have Jude appealing these people he's writing writing to to contend for the faith contend for the faith defend the body of truth that was delivered down by the apostles because people have crept in teaching destructive heresies you see this is one reason why we need to be a good theologian and a good apologist in fact to be a good apologist you must be a good theologian because these are the things that we're defending we dealt with that in our previous podcast about why we study theology. A big part of apologetics is actually simply clarifying the truth claims correctly, explaining clearly what it is we believe, because if the more you talk to people, the more you realise a lot of the errors come simply from misunderstandings because we haven't communicated ourselves clearly. And this is a very big part of Christian apologetics. So we contend for the faith. Let's go to another verse, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Destroying speculations or arguments, some of your translations may read. Destroying arguments raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, this is very important. You see, the specific challenges that generations face will change. With different generations come different problems that we need to address. But the command to challenge them when they seek to misrepresent God or or cause confusion about the teachings of Christianity, we need to challenge them all the same. You see, in the first and second centuries, there were many different things. There was Gnosticism and persecution and all these issues that were coming upon the church that the New Testament and the first century uh, church fathers addressed. Again, jumping forward in history to the post-Enlightenment period, more in, in our day and the things that we're facing, we have the, the sceptics like David Hume and his hard naturalism and his anti-supernaturalism where they would just simply object to, to any talk of the metaphysical. And obviously this rules out religion and God as answers. And then if we jump forward to 1859, the publication of The Origin of Species that led to the Darwinian Revolution. This was obviously a very different version of origin stories than the Bible. So it was in contradiction to the Bible, many would say. I would agree with them. Now this led to a lot of people rejecting Christianity or not knowing how to proceed with their faith. And then we had the the atheist Friedrich Nietzsche, his God is dead philosophy, existentialism, uh, leading on to postmodernism, all these philosophies that, that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Today, Darwinianism is still a huge issue. Neo-Darwinianism we have today, the, the whole creation-evolution debate. We have the new atheism and we have just as much anti-supernaturalism. But on the other side of the coin, we also have challenges from competing worldviews. We have the rise of of Islam, 
uh, that is causing a lot of issues in the church that we need to know how to address. And we have the rise of, in the Western world, what we're calling New Age spirituality, kind of a mix of, of Eastern religions with with a little bit of Western spirituality mixed in. All of these things are being raised up against the knowledge of God and we need to engage these and show why they're not true. Colossians 2 verse 8. It's just our last verse and then we'll look at some objections and we'll leave it there. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Okay, now some see this as a blanket warning against using philosophy, and they use this as a, as a verse to say we shouldn't be engaged in apologetics because it's all about intellect and philosophy and these secular subjects. Now this is a misunderstanding of the verse. You see, it's actually impossible not to use philosophy when you engage in discussions with other worldviews because you're talking about logic and argument and thinking. It's just impossible not to engage in the subject of philosophy. Now, the church has really taken two different views on philosophy. Some have followed after the church father Tertullian, who is famous for saying, What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What concord is there between the academy and the church? Now, most Christian thinkers have followed the view of Thomas Aquinas, who said that philosophy is the handmaiden to theology, and I would resonate more with that view there. So what is Paul saying in this verse? Is He, he is warning us against philosophies and worldviews that were not built on biblical assumptions. Okay, this is the important thing. They were not built on biblical wisdom, but on human wisdom, what he calls the traditions of men, the elementary principles of this world. And these are like what was being propounded at Colossae, which caused him to write this letter to the Colossians. And it's very similar to many of the philosophies we see today that underpin these modern worldviews, the new atheism and postmodernism, and these, and these types of beliefs all have philosophical underpinnings that we need to engage with. So really, I, I agree with C.S. Lewis on this issue, who said that good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. You see, the warning here is that we make sure our wisdom is built upon a biblical foundation, that we understand that it is in Christ where all hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. You see, Christian philosophers should be in the Bible. We should definitely be in the book of Proverbs. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ as we engage with these secular worldviews, understanding that they are built on human wisdom. Now let's look at a couple of objections. I think we've given ample reason why there is justification to do apologetics. We could give many more. I understand this is a, a very small list, but we could give many more. But they are the main ones, I believe. Now, some of these objections, you might have heard this if you've ever tried to, to engage on this issue. And this one always comes from, from Christians, where they would come back and say, you cannot argue anyone into the kingdom. Okay, you've probably heard that. You cannot argue anyone into the kingdom. And it's usually saying that, you know, you don't bother engaging with all these, what they consider to be intellectual arguments. We just need to preach the gospel. I do appreciate the sentiment on this and I understand where it's coming from. However, I do believe it, it's a false statement. It's not accurate. Now, yes, I understand why they've said it. They're trying to highlight the point that it is only the gospel that saves now, no Christian apologist, biblical apologist, would deny this. We all know it is only the gospel that saves. So that's not really the issue. However, the biblical and extra-biblical evidence indicates that arguments in favour of Christianity are one way that God or the Holy Spirit uses to reach people for Christ. 
Okay, Why do we limit one of the ways that the Holy Spirit has clearly used in the history of the church? Think of Augustine, think of Thomas Aquinas, think of C.S. Lewis, I think of more modern people like Josh McDowell, think of Lee Strobel's famous book, The Case for Christ. Hundreds of people come to Christ through that, where he goes through, and it, it's an apologetic, evangelistic book, uh, right up to the modern day with people like J. Warner Wallace. There was a Cornell uh, professor, literary critic, David Dakes. He remarked once that more had been converted through Lewis than in the British revival campaigns of Billy Graham. Okay, now, how you'd quantify that, I'm not actually sure. But what he's saying is that the impact that Lewis had through his apologetic works, like, like Mere Christianity, because they, they're in book form and they just continue living generation after generation, could have more impact than the specific revivals that Billy Graham led in this country. It's an interesting thought, and I think it proves that the fact that you cannot argue into the kingdom is really a false statement that we need to be more precise when we talk about these things. That's one objection you often hear. All the objections fall under the same kind of ideas. Let's just deal with one more before we finish this podcast. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 2 verses 2 to 5. You'll see this one often quoted, where Paul writes to the church at Corinth, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now you can see here that this is used to say that we don't come with clever arguments, all we do is preach the gospel. Now again, I'd never limit anyone from preaching the gospel but this is a slight misuse of this verse you see paul is not arguing against apologetic argument in a broad sense because this this would be silly we see paul clearly using apologetics and argument and reason and providing evidence and using philosophy throughout his ministry in his letters and in the book of acts so what is he saying here He's making a point. Remember, this is Corinth, one of the centres of kind of Greek philosophy. Obviously, Athens is the main one, but Corinth was a very Greek city. And what he is saying is that in contrast to these Greek philosophers who were trained rhetoricians, basically, they, they were their skill was in their rhetorical speech, which they would use to win converts, basically, to win people there to decide. All depended on how good they were at giving their speeches in the marketplace. That's what Greek philosophy was engaging in. Now, what Paul is simply saying here is that he doesn't have to rely on how good he is at making an argument and a public message. He relies simply on the spirit and the gospel to win converts, to which every apologist would say, Amen. Okay, so these are some objections that we see. There are more, but I hope hopefully you get the idea. But apologetics is a great discipline that we need to be engaging in. So let's make sure that we honour Christ as Lord. We live our lives worthy of our calling as ambassadors for Christ. And let's be ready and prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. It's my hope and my prayer that these podcasts will be a tool that you can use to equip yourself in that task. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.